Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Jeff Davila, welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe. I really appreciate you joining us tonight. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, I, I guess I should mention that you and I connected through Gene Burke. Gene uh, and I have worked together for about a quarter century, and I think you've known him even longer uh, than that. Yeah, Gene uh, was my roommate at the Naval Academy, and uh, we were roommates all four years, and I was best man in his wedding. He was in my wedding, and he's uh, uh, one of one of godparents to my, uh, one of my kids. So, um, yeah, very close. Uh, so the, the, the pairing, Je- sorry, Jeff, the pairing of, uh, you two was random at first, right? You guys didn't know each other before you went to the name. That's right. You just kind of get stuck with, um, you know, anybody in a company. So there's 36 companies at the Naval Academy and you come in plebe summer and that's the end of, uh, June, early July was when you start. And, uh, um, first person I met that that summer when I walked into my room was Gene. So, and then we, you know, went through hell for, <laughs> but you're, but you're doing it together and you're taking care of each other. So it's all, uh, you know, it's all good. So. Could you choose your roommate your second, third and fourth years? Yeah, you could. Um, Gene and I stayed together. We had other roommates come in. Um, so there, our company is very close. We have, we have a text, um, uh, all all text message kind of thing going on, and we keep in touch all the time. And and when we went back for the reunion, we we go to football games, you know, we go to basketball games, we go to lacrosse games. We uh, we stay in touch with all our kids and everything, so it's it's all good. So, yeah, uh, great lifelong uh, friendships made. That's right. So it's like a fraternity at the Naval Academy. You think of your company as a fraternity. Um, that's the best analogy I can say. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. All right, mm-hmm. so let's back, let's back up. You grew up in uh, Richmond, Virginia. Is that correct? That's correct. Born in what, what what part of town did you grow up in? I grew up in the West End off of Wilton Road. You know, we're Grove and between Grove and uh, Cary. Okay. Yeah. Uh, North Wilton Road there. So um, grew up there um, and went to St. Christopher's all third. So I was a thirteen-year senior. So you know you take take that picture at the uh, at when your senior senior year, you take your your kindergarten picture with your, th- you know your senior year picture. Did y'all do that? Did there was a, was there one in the yearbook for that? Oh yeah, absolutely. We did that for the class of eighty one. That's when I graduated. So, so how many K through uh, twelve kids were there in your kindergarten class? Oh gosh, there was um, gosh, I want to say about fifteen, sixteen maybe. So. Is that pretty typical? I would say so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know what it is today. I, I'm, I mean, it's, I've been out of St. Christopher's for a long time. I just, we just had our 40th reunion, you know, last weekend. So uh, I didn't, I didn't attend. They did a COVID thing. So, uh, but I still stay in touch with a lot of those guys too. So. And you, you celebrated your 40th and your 35th from college the same year because of COVID. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So it's te- technically 41st. No, I'm, I'm no, sorry, 39th. That's right. 30, yeah. 36. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I, I went the wrong way on that math. <laughs> Wait, so what, what are your fondest memories, say, like K through five, uh, 
whether it's St. Christopher's or just in general growing up? Well, I, um, <laughs> I, I loved playing uh, sports. That, that was kind of my thing. So I, I played football and I, I played basketball and I, and I was really a, a tennis player when I was growing up. So um, I think just the, the friendships, the, you grew up in you know a neighborhood over in the West End, and you and so all the kids in that area went to St. Christopher's. So I'm lifelong friends with all those guys, a lot of those those guys. So, but the the sports aspect of it, um, even you know going through to fifth grade, was was a lot of fun. I mean, we had a we had these uh, these these kind of Olympic days. I forget what they call them back then, but. Um, those, those were just so much fun. And, uh, um, so anyway, that, 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 those are, those are the kind of memories that I remember. So it was a lot of fun. What was the name of your, uh, rec football league? Uh, I didn't play in a rec football league. We had a, uh, we played flag football, mm. Christmas, and there was a league, uh, when we were, and then when we got to eighth grade, right, that was bulldog football. Right. That's right. Um, that was the first time that you put pads on and you kind of played against other schools and, and teams and stuff. So that was, that was a lot of fun. I was was uh, Ackerman your head coach? Oh yeah. Yeah. Ackerman, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the entire eighth grade went out for the football team. Oh, it did. It, Back it, in the day. Great. Yeah. And remember you'd, um, I don't know if, if he did that back then, but you, you didn't get water, right? I mean, he wouldn't allow water out at, at practice. He gave you ice cubes, and he wouldn't allow you to take your helmet off while you were practicing. Uh, he, he let us drink water. It's a different my, time, it, yeah. It's a diff, different time. We, we had water. I think, I'm pretty sure he gave us water. Maybe I'm not remembering that correctly, but I know yeah. he would not allow the football helmet to come off during practice. That's right. Well, he gave us ice cubes. That's all you could – yeah. So you're, you're being hydrated, but yeah, – it yeah, it's crazy, yeah. It was delayed, though, right? The the effect of the hydration had to be delayed with an ice cream. Oh, wait, you, well, you didn't get hydrated. I mean, you just, you know, hopefully made it through two hours of practice and hitting and everything. You know, if you got knocked out, you just told to get back up and get back in the huddle, right? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Well, what, what about middle school memories? So Bulldog football is one of them. Yeah, sure. Bulldog football. And uh, uh, let's see, that was um, – I don't know if you, if you ever – Mrs. Rankle? Remember, uh, so Davis's mom, Davis was a classmate of mine, but Mrs. Wrinkle was my, uh, one of my teachers in Galladay. Remember Galladay? Oh, yeah. Galladay? Yeah. Um, just great teachers. I mean, fantastic people that stayed there for, gosh, it seems like a century, right? I mean, they were there for forever. Um, I, I think Galladay may be there still. I know Andy yeah, Smith is still there. Uh, a lot of guys that were there when I was in eighth grade are still there. Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. All right. So, uh, tennis, football, and basketball, is that essentially what you played, uh, when you went to the high school level? Yeah. So, so I played tennis all through when I was a junior, all the way up and I played in Malta and got a ranking and all that. And that's, uh, how I got, um, interested to some degree in the Naval Academy. Um, the coach there was a guy by the name of Bobby Bayless and Bobby grew up in Richmond 
and uh, he recruited me. He he ended up leaving about halfway through uh, my my time at Navy and went to MIT and then went to Notre Dame. And he spent his rest of his career there at Notre Dame. He's since uh, retired, but um, uh, but but I played tennis and then I when I got to I guess around the my freshman year, I started playing some basketball and we weren't very good at basketball at all uh, at, at St. Christopher's. Those weren't good, good basketball years. We were a decent football team. Um, we, uh, we, we had good records and, and beat collegiate, which was, which was kind of a, um, a breakthrough my senior year because we hadn't beaten them in a long time. I don't know if you remember back in the seventies and up until the early eighties, there was, there was a kind of a drought there for St. Christopher's football. Um, but uh, um, yeah, so that's, um, uh, I, we, we had uh, great teachers. Um, we had uh, Mr. West, you remember Mr. West? He was the, he was the uh, soccer coach too, but he taught um, uh, Spanish and then Mr. Nystrom. Yep. Nystrom, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, who was the, uh, one of the football coaches taught poetry and English? Um, Ron Smith. Ron Smith, yeah, Ron was just fantastic. And then the uh, weightlifting uh, coach, uh, I'm, I'm having a senior moment here, but. Uh, Bob, Bob Blanton. Bob Blanton, oh my God, Bubba Blanton. That, yep. Bubba, Bubba taught Latin when we were in, you know, grade seventh to seventh eighth grade, and and he was huge. I mean, he was he was in great shape and young, and uh, so we would have Latin class and we'd sit in there and we'd all have to sit pretty much on the edge of our chairs because we were just terrified of the guy, and he would throw people out the window. So if, you know, he he quiz you, and and if you didn't know something, if you couldn't translate, then he would take you and he throw you out the window. I mean, he took Sterling Davis, one of our one of our classmates, picked him up by the thing and shoved him out the window into the bushes. Oh, Can you imagine doing that stuff today? Oh, it wouldn't happen. So no, it wouldn't happen. He'd be he'd be in jail. So I, I had him in eighty. Yeah. To 82, 83 that, yeah. that year in eighth grade. And we heard the rumors that he had thrown people out windows, but yeah. I never actually witnessed it. You're telling oh. me you've witnessed it. Oh, yeah, we saw it. Oh, yeah. If you know Spence Williamson and Shell Horsley and Blunt Edwards and all those guys, they'll tell you the same thing. It was great. Now, Sterling since passed away, but oh. he was the one that got thrown out the window. There he is. Send a strong message for everybody else. Yeah, and he was a great football coach too. He was, he was, he was, he was fantastic. Just all real positive. And of course, you know, I think the world of Coach Kemper. He was. Um, I, I saw him back. I think around the May time period. I went to a funeral in Richmond for a classmate of mine at St. Christopher's. Actually, Reno Harp. His father passed away. And I don't know if you remember the the Harps are, are big at St. Stephen's and. Um, Reno's grandfather was a pastor there for um, a number of years, but uh, in any case, he looked great. I mean, he's you know he's he's in great shape and doing great at eighty, and so. Uh, but a big influence on me and 
just always kind of kept up with him. So, yeah, Coach Kipper had a great influence on a lot of people to include <laughs> yeah. to include me. Uh, I had lunch with him uh, February of 2020, just before the pandemic struck. Yeah. Um, and I, I need to get back in touch with him so I can put him on this podcast. Yeah, that would be great. He's got a lot of he's doing a lot of really good stuff with, uh, I guess, the independent schools and athletic uh, directors and and uh, on the board there. And he he talks about how much fun he's having with that. So, yeah, yeah. he he seemed pretty pumped up when I talked to him. Yeah, very cool. All right, so uh, football. What position did you play? I was a quarterback. All right. So. Uh, um, five foot, nothing, a hundred, nothing, trying to throw the ball over the line. So we ran the option. So I could, uh, yeah, I could, I could run the ball. Okay. But, uh, wasn't much of a passer. <laughs> how, how many times did you pass in a game typically? No, I, I mean, I, I passed probably maybe uh, 10 times, I guess, maybe, uh, you know, back then it wasn't a whole lot. It's not like today where you're in the shotgun the whole time. Right. It was under center and you know you had a you had a either you put your split back so you had your eye back and then you had your you know we had a tight end that was blunt edwards i don't know if you know blunt and then we had uh, davis wrinkle and marshall ware who's another st chris he was out coaching the track team but those two guys were really fast so all i had to do was kind of throw it up and they'd run under it and uh so it made it easier. And then we had a good offensive line. We had, uh, um, we had Robert Barnes, who was all Metro. Um, and, and Robert went off the WNL. We had uh, um, Dabney Overton, um, who's, who's unfortunately passed away a few years ago. Uh, we had uh, Tony Ferrante, little stump, but uh, real strong. Hill Carter. Hmm. Um, Shirley Plantation uh, Hill was was unique back then. He was six foot two, three hundred pounds, so huge, and and uh, could really move some folks out. And um, trying to think of the center, he was a junior. Uh, I still stay up on Facebook with him, but anyway, good good team. We went we went six and three. We lost to uh, we lost to Woodbury in a heartbreaker. Uh, it was muddy that day, and we tried to run a fake uh, field goal, and the ball slipped off um, uh, guys, the holder's hand. He was a good thrower. He's actually the backup quarterback, and he could throw the ball. But it was wet that day, and, and it slipped out of his hand, popped straight up in the air, and the linebacker coming through caught it. Blunt was running a kind of a crossing route. Would have caught it, probably scored. But, you know, such a stayed with you. Um, so he, exactly. So you, you, you hear me, I'm remembering all this stuff. And when I get together with the guys, sometimes that conversation will come up. And nobody wants to talk about it. We talked about it on texting about two months ago over that issue. Um, so it still hurts. Yeah. For, 40 years later. Yeah. And then we had a, we kind of had a letdown game. Trinity and we went up we played Episcopal you know up in the Hummel Bowl there and we were three touchdown favorites and ended up getting walloped I had a horrible game I threw a pick six and that was terrible so yeah that is terrible but I can remember everything I mean I can remember 
you know, getting in the huddle, I can remember calling the play. I remember checking off on that. I, I mean, I can, I, it's just, and, but we came back and we beat collegiate that year. We beat them at collegiate. And, uh, so that was, uh, you know, a good ending to the season. So actually I, I think a one and eight season, as long as the one is against collegiate, that's, it's an okay season. Yeah. It's kind of like army Navy, right? I mean, you can go no and 11, but beat army at the end and the, Coach will keep his job. If you go, if you go eleven and one, and you lose to Army, you know, that's that's a bad season. Yeah, uh, Navy. All right. Well, let's, actually, I want to talk about basketball. What position mm-hmm. you play in basketball? I'm going to guess I point the, guard. I was the point guard. Yeah. 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 Guard. Qu- quarterback of the basketball team. That's right. Did you enjoy uh, playing point guard? Yeah, I did. I mean, I, mean, I, I love playing basketball. We just unfortunately had a real small team and struggled quite a bit. And, um, so we had a good, good coach and, uh, uh, gosh, I can't remember his name, but he passed away a few years ago. Carl Koenig. Carl Koenig. Yeah. Yep. So, um, anyway, those yeah. reminiscing those were the good old days. <laughs> All right. So, so tennis led you to, uh, the, the Naval Academy. And I'll tell you the tennis team when I was there in the mid eighties, they were ridiculously good. Yeah, no one we, came near them. Was it the same when you were there? Oh, yeah. We had um, – so I, I played – you know, you're talking about 77 through 81 pretty much. We had a guy there by the name of Tommy Kane. Have you ever heard of Tommy? I have, yep. So Tommy ended up, you know, ranked in the top 30 in the world at one point. You know, he went off to wow. Trinity. He was uh, top – two or three in the country as a junior. Um, but then we had a lot of other great players. We had the Horsleys. We had, uh, you know, Kane's brother. We had, um, we had, uh, you know, just a bunch of really great players. And, and so um, we didn't lose a prep league match for, gosh, I, 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 I want to say like 15 to 20 years. I mean, I, I, there was a streak there for a long, long time. And, uh, and, and we'd play in the uh, inter- interscholastic nationals, which was always down at Duke in the summers. And, and so the coach back then was a guy by the name of C.W. Stacks. C.W. Was, uh, was a tennis player in, in college as well and just a, a great human being. I, I still keep up with C.W. He ended up going down to uh, Charlotte Latin in North Carolina and coaching there. They moved down there for uh, shortly after I had, I had graduated from St. Christopher's, but um, we had great teams and, and we could play indoors, right. With the field house. Um, that was great. Uh, but everybody played all year round and everybody um, that played on that team back then got you know, rods to, to uh, division one, you know, Places. I mean, most of the kids went to UVA and play, but some went to Wayne and Mary and, you know, Tech and North Carolina and, um, you know, even the Ivy League schools. It was it was a, it was an incredible program. And we finished that uh, the 78 season, I want to say there's a banner that should be up. that said there were St. Christopher's, the interscholastic national champions. And that was because of Tommy and um you know, the, the guys on that team went down there and won at Duke and he had teams coming in from California and everywhere. So it was, 
you know, it was, it was pretty neat. What, what was it about the program that made it so successful? I think it was just tennis in general at, at, at uh, in Richmond. I mean, I think that had a lot to do with it. And I think, uh, you know, everybody uh, grew up, um, and I think the Country Club of Virginia had a lot to do with that. Um, um, but, I, but I think, uh, you know, in general, um, you know, R- Richmond was a big hub for – for junior tennis back then. It's not like it is today. I don't, I don't know how it is today, but it just doesn't seem um, like it was back then. Everybody, when you got out of school, you went to the club and you drilled, you know, I'd hit off the backboard for an hour or, you know, the the pros back then were a guy by the name of, um, uh, was Koenig or, um, uh, a couple of guys that were pros there that that had played um, professional tennis, and so they they all had a huge influence on on I think all of the kids. And you get up at six o'clock in the morning and go play before you went to school. Mm. I mean, it just just a different you know kind of mindset back then, and I think uh, that contributed to a lot. So you played all year round. Um, I played all year round up until I was 14 because I was playing in, in state tournaments and a little bit of national stuff. And, um, but then when I got to about 14 or 15, I started playing football. So I, you know, my focus kind of shifted there, but I still continue to play tennis. And I think that's kind of one of the reasons why I got into the Naval Academy. It certainly wasn't for academic achievement. <laughs> as much as it was for that I could hit a tennis ball really I mean that's that's did, did they find you or did you find them well so St. Christopher is when we played we played the Navy JV on our on our schedule mm. go up to Annapolis and 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 play those guys and so uh, uh but I think a combination of things us going up there and doing that um um, my interest in going to the Naval Academy started a little bit early, but, uh, um, and then Bobby being a, Bobby Bayless being a Richmond grad, I think he tried to recruit a lot from down the area. He's pretty successful um, in, in, in doing that. So, uh, you know, I think the combination of a lot of things kind of, kind of got me to, to the Naval Academy. Now, when I went to Navy, I played a little bit of tennis, but I, but I shifted over to squash. That was my sport. Um, I, I would, I played a little bit my freshman year, but I, but I concentrated on squash um, pretty much my sophomore through senior year. And which was a, which was an, which was a different game. I don't know if you played squash, but um, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a neat game. It's a good uh, translation from tennis to playing squash. Um, and so that's what Navy would do. They'd take a, some tennis players who might not make the team or, or not make the top six and say, hey, come over. You got the racket skills. We can teach you how to play um, that game. And, and that was a big game as well. Um, especially in the Northeast, especially with the Ivy schools and the little Ivies and, and the Northeast schools. So um, that's what I ended up playing. And that's what I uh, really enjoyed a lot as I went through the, 
the academy. So, was that an NCAA sport, or was that more of a club? Well, sport? It, it wasn't NCAA. It was inter what they called the intercollegiate. Uh, it has become, it has expanded a lot more. When when we played squash back in the eighties, you played with a hard ball, a different ball. Um, it was a North American game. Um, squash is a world sport, and it's played mostly over in the Middle East. Egypt has the best players. Um, there's there's a, a a huge contingent in Europe, and over in uh, the Far East. Um, but uh, in any case, uh, we would, the conglomerate of colleges was mostly along the Eastern seaboard, basically from Virginia all the way up North. So when we traveled, we got to play the Ivy League schools or we'd go as far North as Trinity, or I don't know if you've heard of Williams college. Mm-hmm. Sure. So we'd make a trip up there and ended up playing, um, you know, teams like Bates and Bowden and, and, and we'd play army army had a team back then. So, uh, the, the, the game crossed into the, uh, the world, uh, sport in about the mid nineties. So there's, it's a softer ball now. And if you YouTube it, it's a different court. Mm. Um, it's a little bit wider. Uh, and um, Richmond actually has a tournament now, or they used to have a tournament. It's a professional tournament, and they play the early rounds over at the club, and then play the uh, the later rounds at University of Richmond. They set up a court in the old gym over there. Um, if if they're still having the tournament, you ought to get a chance to go over there and take a look at it. It's pretty it's pretty neat when the pros are playing. They are they are they're pretty phenomenal how quick it is and how how phenomenal uh they how well they can move it's it's pretty neat and the ball doesn't whether it's the hard ball from back in the day or the ball they use now it doesn't bounce as much as say a tennis ball right well it'll, it'll bounce once it gets warmed up it mm. just it get heated up and then but um you're right the 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 softball doesn't bounce as well as the hard ball so you can imagine the movement and if you're moving up and back side to side, the kind of shape you need to be in, um, it's, it's pretty neat. It's uh, YouTube it and you'll, you'll get kind of a feel for it. I'll check it out. All right. So let's talk about uh, being a plebe at the Naval Academy. Any, any uh, fond memories or not so fond memories? Well, it's a, uh, you know, it's kind of a game. You look back on it and um uh, I think the, the people that would relate to this are the, you know, the folks that go to VMI and they go through their rat year. Um, a lot of uh, uh, push-ups, um, a lot of screaming and yelling, a lot of memorizing, you know, what you would think were stupid things. Uh, l- learning how to uh, to react under pressure is really what they're trying to teach you. Um, you go through that the whole year at the service academies until a certain point, and then you you break out. I think at VMI you go through it uh, for maybe the summer and part of the fall. My, both my brothers went there. I shouldn't know that, um, but I'm, I'm. But in any case, uh, uh, I think you build a camaraderie with your with your classmates. 
um, because you're all going through it at the same time and you're all trying to figure out how to navigate around it and how to deal with uh, the pressure. And, and so you've got, you know, the same group conversing with each other and consoling each other and, and trying to deal with it. So it, it's all a, you know, a big lesson in, in, uh, in what the, what the military is ultimately trying to, uh, to mold you as a, you know, as a future Naval officer. So, um, so. All right. So how about, uh, Chow, when you were a plea, what, what was, uh, eating like? Well, so have you ever been to the Naval Academy? Have you ever seen the King Hall? You know, that, that big area where everybody sits. And so you would go down with your company and uh, you had uh, everybody sitting at the table. Um, you, each class would sit at the table. At the front of the table, you had your, uh, your seniors, which we, we call your first class. And then you had your second class at the other end of the table. And then across from the table, you had your youngsters or sophomores. Um, and so um, you're sitting on the edge of your seat and your back straight and you're looking straight ahead. And, uh, you know, the food comes around and you, t you know, take what you can. Um, at the same time that you're doing all of this, the, everybody's quizzing you about something. And they're asking you questions about this. What was on the front page of the paper? What's the, uh, you know, who are we playing this weekend and whatever sport and, uh, um, you know, what's their record and, uh, you know, any kind of anything that has to do with uh, th things around the, the campus that you should know about. Um, you're, you're trying to answer all this at the same time trying to eat. So you can imagine you want to get done quick and get the heck out of there and request permission to, you know, to, to get back up and do your homework. Um, uh, so you can also imagine that if you miss a question, or you're, you're not doing real well that day that you're going to get picked on even more. And so, uh, you know, if you're having a bad day, <laughs> go south real quick. So, um, uh, yeah, there's some, some, some fond memories and, um, you learn how to take care of each other. Cause if you, if your buddy, like if Gene's sitting next to me or whatever, you know, you're trying to help each other out and you're trying to, you learn how to do all of that, which is, you know, another good lesson. And they're looking for that. They're looking for, for folks that are, you know, going to be good teammates and, um, and take care of each other. That's, that's what they're looking for. They don't want any of the eyes, man, you know? Yeah. So no, no, no doubt. All right. So once you broke out, what were the, the uh, next three years like for you? Well, the three next three years were a lot of, um, you know, it's heavy academics, uh, average probably 18 to 19 hours. I was a math major at, at, the, at Navy. Um, so you're really focused on your academics, trying to get through all of that and a lot of homework, a lot of work. And then I played a sport. So managing and time management was really hard. Um, not a whole lot of time off. So uh, you get up in the morning, you, you might study before you get up, uh, before you get to class, um, if you have some time. And then you bust out, get to school, you had, with a heavy schedule, you know, you're gonna do four classes in the morning before you get go to lunch. And then uh, at uh, three o'clock classes pretty much got out. So you got over and you practice from 3.30 to, to about 5.30 and you're six, six o'clock, you eat. And, um, and then, you know, get done with your, your 
dinner and you back upstairs or to the library to, to study and get ready for the next day. So, um, and then when you traveled, uh, so I, as a sport, playing a sport, I traveled, you, you got to make up for that work. And, and so it's a lot of time management. You got to figure all that sort of stuff out. Um, so that, that, that was it. I mean, I mean, I think a lot of what at the Naval Academy you're trying to do from those three years out is trying to get your, your, uh, your grade point average up because that in dictates what you're going to do from a service selection perspective. So it's really important to, uh, you know, do well from an academic standpoint and as well as from a military standpoint. And uh, when you're going through that process of, of trying to get something you want in the army, they, they gave you a top 10 and you could tell the army what you wanted number one to be and all the way to 10. Was it similar for, uh, coming out of the Naval Academy? Well, uh, so, so the way they did service selection night was you had a, a ranking in your class and they gave you that ranking. So out of a thousand, you got a number in between one and 1000. And, and so what they would do is they had a loudspeaker throughout Bancroft hall, which is the, the, um, the dormitory there. And, and you went down to Memorial hall, um, to make your service selection. You actually walked into this room and there was, uh, you know, every, selection desk in there. So you had the Marine Corps, you had Marine Corps ground, you had Marine Corps aviation, you had the surface warfare guys with the ship, the ship guys, submarine guys, and the aviation guys, and you had other things, SEALs, um, special forces stuff. And so when your number was called out, they would say, they would give a group of about, you know, 20 numbers and they'd say, okay, from, you know, 100 to 122, it's your time to go down and select. And of course, you know, certain areas would, would get, would get filled up. So that's why it was important, you know, to have a higher class ranking so you could have a, a better chance of selection, right? If, if you were hemming and hawing over, you know, what, what you wanted to do. So that's how they did it. And I'm not sure how they did it at army, but if they gave you a one and then you just kind of, you know, picked your, your top three or four, and then they, you know, picked for you. But you actually went down, you went to Memorial Hall. I was walking down the hall. I thought I was going to go Marine Corps. My dad went Marine Corps for whatever <laughs> reason was. I looked at those guys and I just shifted right over to aviation. <laughs> and I went over to the desk. And to this day, I don't know what happened, but that's what I did. And I, uh, you know, signed up and that's it. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the Marines have that impact on me as well. Jeff. <laughs> yeah. So the one through 10 thing that I was describing is not for West Point. It was uh, ROTC commission. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Sure. yeah so so mm -hmm. I'm not sure how West Point does it. I imagine it's a similar process as the Naval Academy. All right. So you, you went aviation. Could you pick the, uh, the plane? That you well, flew? no, you, um, so, so what you do is you go through flight school, uh, and you go down to Pensacola and you go through an indoctrination period of about a month. And then, uh, you start, uh, flying your primary aircraft, which is, uh, back then it was the T-34 Charlie, which is, uh, the mentor. Today it's the T-6 Texan II, um, 
but in any case, you either go to, you do that in Milton, Florida, which is just north of Pensacola, or you go to Corpus Christi. And then you get graded through a, a, a syllabus, which includes flights and simulators and, you know, all kinds of stuff. There's tests and ground school and all that. And you get graded on all of that and you come out with a ranking. And, and then from there you pick either helicopters, um, jets, or um, prop airplanes back in the day. Prop meaning uh, you could go uh, P-3 Orion or uh, E-2 or C-130s or something, you know, uh, back then. Um, so then uh, you, you go off to, to that, that area, that, that whether it's helicopters or jets. I went jets. I went to Meridian, Mississippi. There were three areas you could go to back then. Meridian, Kingsville, or Beeville, Texas. Um, I went to Meridian. And then out of Meridian, um, that's when you're going to go and fly the T-2 Buckeye uh, back then. And then you got in the A-4 Skyhawk to finish up your training. And at the end of that, then you get placed in uh, particular fleet aircraft. So Tomcats, uh, A-6s back then, F-18s, um, A-7s, uh, uh, S-3s, um, uh, A-3 whales. Uh, there was a lot more of a variety back then. Today, it's really just Hornets um, and F-35s. Uh, I flew the S-3 Viking back, back then. Um, and so you graduate, I graduated from Meridian. I got my wings then. So um, it was the first time I went to the ship and tried to land on ship. So um, yeah, you graduate from that evolution. And uh, I went down to Jacksonville, Florida and to the, what you call the RAG replacement air group. And that's where you learn how to fly your fleet airplane, the airplane that you're going to end up uh, going on deployment with and with a squadron. So um, that's where I ended up down in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, uh, flying that airplane. Was uh, and you're saying the S3 Viking is what you flew when you first yep. joined the fleet? Yeah. Yeah. So what was the uh, the purpose of the S3 Viking? Well, the the S3 Viking was an ASW platform. It was the P3, but it was on on an aircraft carrier. It's a two engine uh, high wing uh, aircraft uh, jet. Um, it carried sauna buoys and torpedoes, was the primary weapon system. Um, the aircraft morphed into um, a in-flight refueling capability, as well as um, a sea strike kind of capability to put Maverick on the aircraft. It's a uh, air-to-surface uh, weapon um, and slam and uh, harpoon, uh, which are two big missiles for hitting big ships. So. Uh, I did a lot of that, um, and uh, I made, I think, a total of about four deployments. I made four deployments when I was uh, total in the Navy in that aircraft. So, um, how many total years were you in? I was in for twenty-seven. It's a really long time, right? Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was a long time, but but a but a great profession. I mean, I I, I tell. Um, people that ask me, you know, hey, you went to see a whole bunch and all that. Yeah, but I got to fly an airplane and uh, I did it for a living. So that, that that's pretty cool. So. If, if you love flying, it's kind of hard to beat. Yeah, it, 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 uh, it's a neat um, 
it's a neat freedom to get in an airplane and and be able to you know go where you want to go or you know or just be out flying around it's it's pretty neat and being able to to kind of work in that three-dimensional space it's it's pretty nice neat uh most people uh i say most people a lot of people are afraid of flying you've never had a fear of flying I, I'm well guessing. i i um I don't quite like getting in a commercial airplane because I, I feel like it's a sardine can. And I, and I don't I, just just being in an aircraft where I got an ejection seat, I know I can kind of get out of it if something goes wrong. If something goes wrong in this thing, uh, and, it, and it rarely does. I understand that the, the percentages are, are really, really low, but I, I don't, I get a little claustrophobic <laughs> when I get get in American Airlines and I'm sitting in the middle seat, you know, in row 35 and, you know, eat pretzels and a, and a, and a, you know, Coke with some little bit of ice in it. It's just, you know, for three hours, it's like real well for Jeff. So. Well, yeah. And, and you're not the pilot or the co-pilot. No, I don't have control over the aircraft. That's yeah. yeah. That's a, that's the problem, but I can't I, get out of it either if I need to. <laughs> So you spent uh, what roughly a couple of years out of your twenty-seven on deployment, or were they longer than six months? Each well, I, I spent a, a total of a little over three years of um, of sea time. That's and that's that's a lot of sea time. Three time, yeah. So the um, four deployments, deployments are six months, but you have workups, which are you know a mm. couple months in there, and and then I did I did a tour with a battle group staff, and we went out for I guess a total of about six months too. So oh, got it. Okay. So all of those months and weeks, you know, and all, all kind of added up to a little, little over three years total. What was your uh, uh, favorite assignment? Uh, I, I think the my favorite assignment was um, the the test pilot school. I was a, a I went through the test pilot school back in '92. I spent um, three years in Pax River in the '90s, and that's where I am today. Uh, that's where I retired out of. But um, I went through the school um, and uh, got to, it, the school is demanding. It's a lot of work and, and it's tough, but uh, you, you get to fly a lot of neat different types of aircraft. I, I flew helicopters and um, some experimental stuff and, uh, and all kinds of jets and, and, um, you know, all kinds of neat things. Uh, I, I ended up having about, I've got probably about 40 different types of aircraft in my logbook. Mm. And a lot of that has to do with, uh, with being a, a test pilot. Um, so I worked a year um, in the directorate, which is on the, I worked on S3 programs. And then I went back over as an instructor my last year uh, at the at the test pilot school, and that was probably the best year I had. That that was that was neat. Now that we had um, we had a lot of neat things going on back then, and I got a lot of opportunity to jump into a lot of different aircraft as well. So. Well, being a test pilot uh, and you use the word e experimental, like that that takes a special kind of uh, courage to hop in some of those. Well, uh, it's it's you know, you, you get to a point where you're, where you're, where your training kind of kicks in. Um, you, you, you learn how to not get in an aircraft. That's not, um, that's not ready to go. <laughs> uh, 
uh, you learn what what it takes and what, what what to look for and 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 what the right questions they ask. Um, uh, I, I shouldn't say experimental aircraft as much as I would say, um, you know, aircraft that that uh, that I have never flown before that are um, that are unique. I shouldn't say experimental as much as I should say those words. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, unique, unique type aircraft that that you don't see often. Um, that uh, uh, one was a long easy. It's got the uh, the prop on the back, and it's got a um, wing, and a, and the nose kind of sits on the ramp. And so um, when you start it up, it kind of the center of gravity kind of pops up, and and you and you can get. A, Go flying. I flew gliders, um, uh, which were which were real neat. Uh, um, and then, um, oh, what's the other ones? I, I, I flew a B twenty five. You know, an old World War two aircraft. That was that was really neat. Uh, um, so a, a lot of a lot of cool stuff. I wish I had my logbook out. I'd, I'd take a look at that. Uh, out of the thousand guys you graduated with, give or take a few. How many got to experience what you got to experience? Oh, a lot. I'd say, um, you know, probably about a 50, 60, you know, folks probably went through. Went through test pilot school and went as yeah, an instructor say, as well? Yeah, you know, a bunch of years. I don't know about instructor, but went through the test pilot school. A lot of guys did a lot, lot cooler stuff than I did. We had, we had um, you know, a number of astronauts that uh, gone up uh, in the shuttle and, a um, couple of guys today that are that are doing some stuff with uh, with um, you know Elon Musk and you know, some of the pilots with them. They're doing some work with uh, with with his uh, company, um, and uh, a couple of guys are doing uh, some work with the Boeing, which is the other variant that'll go up uh, soon. Um, I think we're all too old right now to go to the moon, but. Um, you know that that's the next crop of of uh, of astronauts. Did you ever think about uh, becoming an astronaut? Well, I I, well, I applied. Um, I made the first cut. I just didn't get to the interview. Uh, there there were, you know, thousands of candidates. You're talking about the Air Force, the Army, civilian aviation guys. Um, you know, whole gamut. I made the first cut, but that just whittled it down from a, a thousand to about two hundred and. They pick like ten for interview. <laughs> yeah, and then out of those ten, what four or five get picked? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, yeah but. Pro pro probably the hardest gig to get uh, coming from the military, I'm guessing. Oh yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So uh, you had about three years on on water, essentially on ships, and then you had some shore time. Um, were you flying basically every assignment you had? Uh. No, I, um, so I did a typical aviation career path. I, the first, uh, I would say 10, 15 years. Yes, I was flying. Um, uh, after your department head tour, which is when you're an O4 in the Navy, I don't know if you're familiar with the rank structure, but that's a Lieutenant commander. You go back as a department head, you're a maintenance officer and operations officer for a squadron. Uh, after that, you, you need to go do a joint tour. So they send you to the Pentagon or they send you to a joint staff or they do, 
uh, something along those lines um, to learn a little bit about how the other services work and how we all should work together, integrate together to, to you know, to, to work a war problem. Um, I, I also went to, uh, had a tour in Millington, Tennessee, which is in near Memphis, Tennessee, which is where the Bureau of Naval Personnel is. That's the, uh, the human resources part of the Navy where you're doing the detailing and the placing of everybody. Uh, that's where the boards are. Mm. The, um, the selection boards, uh, promotion boards are there. Uh, so I spent uh, two years there um, before I went back to command a squadron. Um, after command, uh, th then you're kind of, you're pretty much getting away from aviation. Uh, your flying days are, are few and far between. Uh, I went up to the Pentagon and I worked in the SecDef's office for legislative affairs under Rumsfeld and then under Gates. Um, and so I, I um, obviously didn't do any flying while I was there. I was lucky enough to get selected for major command. So I came back to Pax River here. This is why I'm here now um, and commanded one of the operational test squadrons. So I got to fly again. Um, as a captain, as a captain. So I finished up flying, which, which was pretty lucky. I, I consider myself very fortunate to, to be able to do that. So that, and, and when you had command of the squadron, you were a commander. I was a captain of the uh, operational test squadron, my last tour. Right. And, but you had, did you have a squadron before that? Yeah. I had a squadron an S3 squadron down in Jacksonville. Uh, back um, 2003 to 2006, <clears throat> I was a commander back then. That was an operational squadron. Yeah. Uh, did which one did you enjoy more? Uh, I, I, they were they were both they were both different. I enjoyed both of them. Uh, uh, I loved the operational squadron down in Jacks because I had uh, you know I was taking it to sea and had a great group of uh, junior officers. You know lieutenants straight out of college and they had just finished up flight school. We had a great group of guys and uh, a lot of fun. Um, the operational test squadron was unique in that I had all kinds of different communities. I had a lot of different airplanes that I was responsible for, for the, the testing of. So we had P-8, uh, which is the replacement for the P-3. So we did the operational test on that. Uh, we had the E-2D, which is um, the prop uh, aircraft with the dish on the top. Uh, you see them, you go to Virginia Beach, you'll see them flying out every once in a while. Um, so I, uh, we had that to test. I had helicopters, I had unmanned systems. Um, so I had a, I had a cross section of communities, uh, different types of pilots, helicopter pilots, uh, big fixed wing pilots, carrier pilots, um, and NFOs, so I had a I had a huge squadron down in in or here in PAX, and uh, and had a lot to do, which was it when I came to work every day it was something new. So that that part of it was really great. I really enjoyed both in different different ways. Uh, you mentioned uh, Rumsfeld and Gates. Did you uh, ever get a chance to brief them? Oh yeah, I, I, I well I briefed Mr. Gates. I didn't brief Rumsfeld. Nobody briefed Rumsfeld, but. What, why is that? 
Well, he um, he had a different personality. <laughs> uh, uh, he, did, um, he played squash, so he come to the the uh, Pentagon has a uh, a gym area. It's a huge workout facility. It has basketball courts, but it has squash courts. So Mr. Rumsfeld would come down there and play squash every once in a while. So I'd see him down there, but he'd only play with his his um, you know his executive assistants and stuff like that yeah uh people that are maybe closer to his age or he wouldn't be embarrassed in front that's right that's right but he he was uh he was an interesting character uh gates my impression of gates i've never met the man but uh he seems like uh a a kind of guy you want to be around like a positive energy uh very very bright guy and he wanted wanted the the team to win uh sort of vibe yeah he uh a little bit quieter Obviously, from a um, you know perspective on TV that you would get, I mean, Rumsfeld was a more vibrant, you know, personality. It probably got him in a little bit more trouble than, than he probably need, deserved. But uh, yeah, Mr. Gates was uh, was a lot quieter, a um, lot more reserved, but uh, more focused, more cerebral. I would think. Yeah, yeah that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, and when you briefed him, did was there back and forth when you briefed or is it just, you said what you said and you moved on? No, we, we were, we actually, the, the one time that I did, I, I, uh, it was, a I was asked to come in and brief a, a couple of senators and maybe what their questions might be on this visit that he had to go see them. And actually, I actually got to go over and sit with uh, with him when he went over to brief these two senators. So there's a lot of that engagement going on with a lot of the leadership at the Pentagon with the senators and um, and senior congressmen, uh, heads of, of defense committees and things like that. So uh, whether they're going over there or whether they're coming over to the Pentagon um, prepping them on a certain issue. Uh, I had to read up on that. And, uh, I had a, the boss that I worked for, uh, is also in a, in a, a confirmed by the Senate type of, of, uh, position. This guy was the assistant secretary of defense for, uh, legislative affairs. His name was Robert Wilkie. I don't know if that name uh, sounds, uh, familiar, but he, be- he became the VA secretary mm. Trump. Um, but, uh, whenever you went in and you, if you got called in to, to come in, I was a commander back then. So it's, um, so Mr. Robert Wilkie, uh, t- took me in to, to talk with Gates and I kind of sat down the end of the table and they talked, and if there was a question that that Robert couldn't answer, you know, and and I had the knowledge base on it, and then he, you know, that's that's how I conversed. It wasn't a sit down with Mr. Gates and talk with him kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, only uh, talk when needed, kind of thing. That's right. There's a he doesn't have a whole lot of time. Those guys don't, and they're uh, they need the big picture. They don't need the minutia. Right. At what point in your uh, time in the Navy did you realize you were going to do 20 plus? Uh, I think um, probably right around 9-11. Mm. Um, I, uh, for, t- for two reasons. One, I, I think um, there was some purpose after that. 
but um, the, the the second reason was uh, that the natural progression for a lot of folks, for the majority of folks, when they got out after they had served their minimum tour was to go to the airlines. Um, and so the airlines was booming at the end of the 90s, mid to end of the 90s. And it was actually hurting retention in the Navy. You know, we were losing pilots. I was up in Memphis doing my um, bureau tour uh, during 9-11. And uh, if you can imagine uh, all these naval aviators that had gotten out were driving to their school to get ready to go fly for American or United or Delta or whatever. And uh, there was a huge furlough, of course, after that. Um, and so all of these guys were, were out of work and trying to get back in the Navy. Um, so um, I was still kind of on the fence, but uh, um, I'm glad I kind of stayed. So, but for those two reasons, I think. Um, yeah. What was your uh, experience like uh, in the Navy after 9-11? How was it different than prior to 9-11? Well, so deployments um, were to the Med before 9-11 to the Mediterranean. After 9-11, we spent a lot of time in the Persian Gulf. So, uh, um, and a lot of flights kind of in support of that. Yeah, gotcha. So when you think about service, um, what, what does that mean to you? Because obviously you have served in a way that, that most people couldn't even uh, consider seriously or, or couldn't imagine in many cases. What does service uh, through the Navy for your country mean to you? Well, I, I think a lot of it has, for me, um, I, I think um, it, it's, it's all about sacrifice. Um, it's all about a greater purpose. I think if you believe in the ideals of the country, then you'll, you understand, um, you know, what, what it means to, to, to serve in the military and how important it is. And I, and I don't want to take away from anything else from other, other kind of service opportunities because I've, I've been real specific with my kids, you know, you don't have to go in the military. Service can come in a lot of different ways. Um, and, and so the, the military is an easy way to do that because you can sign up, you can, but what are the other ways? You know, you can join the uh, Peace Corps, you can, you can, you know, do things for your church. It, uh, it, it's as simple as that. You can go help out, be a nurse, be a doctor, that's service. Uh, even being a lawyer, um, you know, all those things are, um, you know, service-related kind of kind of efforts. Um, yeah, ser serving and supporting your fellow man. That's right. Yeah. Cool. Well, you mentioned family. Tell us about your family. Well, I, uh, Kathleen's from Richmond as well. That's my wife. Uh, she went to St. Gertrude's and. Uh, Went off to UVA. We met after flight school um, through through our parents. Uh, so um, 
we, we got married in 1990 uh, while I was down in Jacksonville during my first tour. Uh, and we have four kids. Uh, we have three uh, girls and uh, a son. Um, the two oldest daughters are out of school. They're off the books um, and, uh, and getting married. So I got two weddings coming up, <laughs> one on June 4th and then one after that. Uh, the oldest one is marrying a, a SEAL. He graduated from the Naval Academy um, and he's going through BUDS right now. Mm. He just finished up his, uh, his uh, water phase um, and uh, so he's through the hard part in, uh, at least right now. So we're waiting for him to, to, to get through BUDS and through, through the SEAL stuff and, and then we'll work on a wedding for, for those two, but they're engaged. Uh, my second daughter is marrying a high school sweetheart, uh, June 4th of next year. She lives down in Jacksonville. Um, uh, my third daughter is uh, uh, a senior at Shenandoah University out in Winchester. She's uh, doing a grad program. She's a dancer. And then my youngest is a son, uh, Tucker. He just started his first year at Tech. So um, we're going this weekend to go see him and watch football game. So. Uh, you're going to watch uh, Syracuse. Uh, That's right. Silent Rob is being silent on this, but he and I are going down there along with a few other uh, friends to check out that game and see our son. Yeah. Oh, good. Super. Fantastic. Yeah. And you mentioned Shenandoah for your, your third daughter. Yeah. Uh, that's where Jean's daughter went to school. That's right. That's yeah. where, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Katie went. Yep. Yeah. Super small world. Yeah. All right, Jeff, this is going to be out of left field for you, but uh, we usually end these by asking or, or proposing a scenario, and then you get to tell us who your guest would be. You have your own talk show. It can be at, at noon. It can be a late night show, whatever you want. It can be for your entertainment. It can be for the entertainment of the world. It can be thoughtful. Uh, it can be whatever you want it to be. Uh, one male guest, one female guest. And then you can uh, go with a musical group or solo musical performer. They can be alive or dead. And this is meant to reveal a little bit more about you than maybe you typically would share. So I'm going to pick a male, male female, musical. Female. Group. And they could be alive or dead. Yes. All right. I'd pick uh, Abraham Lincoln. I'd pick uh, Mother Teresa. All right. You too. Nice. All right. Um, what am I missing? Now, what, what, why Abraham Lincoln? Oh, because I, I think he was the best president. I'd like to, like to see how he thought. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a fascinating conversation, yeah, it'd right? Be a fascinating conversation. He, he was willing to do, uh, make political sacrifice uh, that that most politicians couldn't fathom. Yeah, and the, and what he went through was just incredible. I mean, yeah. And then Mother Teresa, just because she's maybe the most selfless person that ever lived. Yeah, I would say so. Yes. Yeah. And then you can't go wrong with you two. You don't need to, need to explain that. That's, that's my favorite. Yeah. Very cool. Well, hey, Jeff, it was great talking to you. I appreciate your 27 years of service. I I, I guess it's really 31, right? Because going through the, the academy probably feels tougher in some ways than uh, That's right. Serving. That's right. Did you include your time at the Naval Academy in your 27, or is that really No, you, I, the, the 27 was after I graduated. So. Okay. Well, I would say 31 years of service. Uh, I really appreciate your service. Really appreciate you joining us. I'm glad Gene connected us. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me. This was fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. 
If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at skodupodcast.com. Thank you.